Welcome once again to Searching the Scriptures radio broadcast. We do appreciate you tuning in again with us this week as we look into the Word of God. I'm Pastor Travis Alltop, and it's always a privilege to have an open Bible before me and another chance to brag on our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We appreciate you tuning in and trust and pray you're getting help from these lessons and this time in the Word of God. Our desire is to exalt Jesus Christ and edify the saints. Those of you that are listening, I know many of you are Christians that listen to this program. And our desire is to strengthen your confidence in what you believe and give you the foundation that you must have, which is this, the Word of God. Jesus Christ said in John seventeen seventeen, Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. And so this week, let's turn in the Word of Truth to Acts chapter 9, the ninth chapter of the book of Acts. And I want to discuss uh, for some time here, I want to discuss the conversion of the most important preacher in the New Testament. Now, I say that uh, without fear of contradiction. I'm talking about Saul of Tarsus, who becomes known as the Apostle Paul. We're going to discuss about his conversion, what happened, and and some things that followed up after his conversion. And the reason I say he's the most important preacher in the New Testament is God chose to send him to the Western world. Uh, the Apostle Paul wrote half of our New Testament, at least. And um, I remember one time many years ago, uh, a man came into a workplace where I was working down in Tennessee, and he had just been out of the Mississippi State Penitentiary, and I began to witness to him. And he told me, he said, I can't get saved. I said, why not? He said, uh, I'm too big of a sinner. And I said, no, you're not. I said, the biggest sinner's already been saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul said he was the chief of sinners. And uh, he said, no, you don't understand, man. He goes, I, I spent 19 years in the penitentiary. He said, I killed a man in a bar fight. He goes, it was accidental, but he said, I banged his head against the table. And he said, he ended up dying later. And he said, uh, I was charged with manslaughter. He said, I know God wouldn't save a murderer. Now, that's how people think sometimes. I was glad to be able to give him the news that God did save murderers. The uh, Old Testament character Moses was a murderer, and uh, he uh, was one of God's faithful men and one listed in the Hall of Faith in Hebrews 11. But even more importantly, now after the resurrection, the Apostle Paul, the spokesman for the New Testament, He was also a murderer and one that persecuted the church and, quote, wasted it. And I said, have you ever killed Christians and arrested Christians and, uh, you know, antagonized and terrorized Christians? He said, well, no. I said, well, then you are a candidate for the grace of God. Because I said, the man that terrorized and murdered and arrested Christians and persecuted them and, and persecuted the church and, quote, wasted it, I said, that man got saved by the grace of God cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ, and wrote and was used to write half of our New Testament. Blessed be his wonderful name. There is grace sufficient even for you, sir. And so we had a good talk, and I'm thankful that God saves uh, great sinners, and he saved the chief of sinners here in Acts chapter 9. So let's read it together and see if we can't learn something from it today. I'm beginning in the first verse of Acts chapter 9. This is the narrative that explains about the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. Acts chapter 9, verse 1, the Bible says this, And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired him 
letters to Damascus to the synagogues that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. So we've met this character, Saul of Tarsus, two chapters previously. Uh, the first martyr in the church was Stephen. Stephen was killed after a great sermon there in Acts chapter 7. He is uh, martyred. He is stoned to death by angry religious people who have stopped their ears to the truth. And on that day, as he was dying and asking the Lord not to lay this sin to their charge, there was a man, a young man by the name of Saul, and he was a witness. And they laid down their clothes at this young man's feet. And Saul said later that he held the coats of them which stoned the Lord's martyr Stephen. And then we see in Acts chapter 8 that Saul was consenting unto his death. And there was such great persecution against the church, we find out that the disciples and the believers began to go in every direction because Saul of Tarsus <coughs> excuse me, was serious about this business of persecuting uh, this way and these followers of this imposter Jesus that he believed was a great imposter and had raised up this false sect to go, to go against Judaism. So Saul meant business. He holds the coats of those that stoned Stephen. And the Bible says that Saul, quote, made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. Of course, that means he hauled them away. That word hailing reminds you of the word hauling. And uh, he was hauling people to jail, giving his voice against them, holding the coats of those that stoned uh, uh, the faithful martyr Stephen. And so this man was feared. And verse 1 says that he was still yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter. Now, what does that mean? That means on his lips, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. And what was Saul speaking about? He was speaking about threats. He was warning and making threats against the church. He was coming after the church. He was breathing out slaughter. In other words, he was talking about it. But he wasn't just talking, friend. He was, he was putting feet to his talk. He was walking the walk as well as talking the talk of persecution. And so Saul goes and he gets permission. He gets authority from the chief priest, from the high priest, and he desired of him letters from the high priest to go to the to Damascus to the synagogues to arrest anybody that was a disciple of uh, this man Jesus Christ. So Saul is a vicious man. He's a man that has the church terrorized and and full of fear because he is uh, he is wreaking havoc, just like the Bible says on Christians. And yet the Bible says in verse three, and as he journeyed, so he's on his way to this town called Damascus. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, Saul, he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man, but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither did he eat nor drink. And so here we have the conversion narrative of Saul of Tarsus, who becomes 
the great apostle Paul and writes half of our New Testament and brought us the great truths and that God revealed to him specifically concerning salvation by grace through faith and the mysteries and all the great revelations that we find recorded for us in uh, the church and as Christians in the Pauline epistles. Thank God for the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. But now let's talk about his conversion here. And by the way, this is where Saul is converted. Now the first thing you get into when you start talking about this is I realize here in the book of Acts, uh, Saul is knocked flat. He sees a vision of Jesus Christ, the living Christ from heaven, who had ascended back up there in Acts chapter 1. And uh, one time a man came up to Billy Sunday and he said, I'm not going to uh, get baptized until God gives me a, uh, an, an experience like Saul of Tarsus. I want him to knock me down and I, I want that kind of experience. Billy Sunday wisely answered that man. He said, listen, he goes, Saul was big game. It went on to be to do great things for God. He said, God is not going to waste uh, missiles, he says, on jaybirds like you. And so uh, that's very true. But let me just remind you of something. We're in the book of Acts. This is the apostolic age. And remember something. One of the qualifications for an apostle was that he had to have seen Jesus Christ physically risen from the dead. So it took a special appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is calling a special chosen vessel for his use in the person of Saul of Tarsus. So this is a very unique conversion. But when you boil away all of the excitement, all of the miraculous, you get down to the real miracle. And that is the new birth took place on the road to Damascus. Paul even says later in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, he says, I am not ashamed. He said, for I'm persuaded. He says, I know whom I believed. So Saul declares that he believed on the Lord. He says, I know in whom I believed. He says, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I committed unto him against that day. And if someone wants to argue that Saul was not saved until Ananias showed up and baptized him, then I would challenge you with the following scripture. Let's not argue any more about this. Let's just go to the man who got converted on the road to Damascus and listen to his own testimony. I'd take Saul's testimony over yours. And uh, if you uh, want to... A debate about when Saul was saved. Let's just ask him, Saul, when did you get saved? Was it when Ananias showed up and t- uh, gave you your sight back and baptized you? Or was it on the road to Damascus? Let's listen to Paul's answer from 1 Corinthians chapter 15 as he discusses the gospel, which is how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Verse 5 of 1 Corinthians 15, Paul goes on to say this, and that he, Jesus, was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that, he was seen of above 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. Now watch it. And last of all, he was seen of me also. Because if if God is going to make Saul of Tarsus into an apostle, then he would have to see Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead, the living Lord. That's exactly what he sees on the road to Damascus. Verse 8, look at it again. Last of all, Paul says, he was seen of me, watch it, as of one born 
out of due time. Paul says a birth took place when he saw the Lord Jesus there on the road to Damascus. Think of this. As he describes this conversion in Galatians 1, he says, Ye have heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion. And we would say, we sure have heard of your conversation. In Acts chapter 9, verse 1, it says, You were going to Damascus, breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord. Yes, sir, Paul, we're all aware of your conversation in the Jews' religion in time past. He says, Galatians 1.13, for ye have heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it, and profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in mine own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, watch this, who separated me from my mother's womb, there's the first birth. When you were separated from your mother's womb, it was your birthday. That's the day you were born into this world. That's your natural birth. That's your first birth. It says, when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb, comma, and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me, there's his second birth. When did that take place? Paul said he was as when he saw the Lord on the road to Damascus, last of all, he was seen of me as one born out of due time. Paul had already been born physically in the natural sense when he's here on the road to Damascus. That's obvious. But when he said, when I saw him, I was as one as born out of due time. He is telling you when his new birth took place. And my friend, that is the difference. Religion does not make a difference. In fact, Paul was extremely religious. He was a part of, he was exceedingly zealous of his father's religion. He was a part of Judaism and he was mean in business. He wasn't just talking about it. He was living it, if you will, until he met the Lord Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus and was born again. The Bible said you must be born again. Now of this new birth here in Acts chapter 9, I want you to see three things about the conversion of Saul of Tarsus, whom we know today uh, became the Apostle Paul. I want you to notice something about his new birth, and these are some things that run parallel to every person's new birth. If you're saved, this is true of you. And number one, I want you to notice that this conversion, this new birth, was sudden. It happened suddenly in a moment of time. Notice in verse 3 that as he journeyed on his way here in Acts chapter 9, he came near Damascus and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. God saves men in a moment, instantly, completely, fully. There is no process to salvation. Now, for Christians who know their Bible, that's not too much of a shock. But a lot of people that you talk to, you find out, have very little understanding of what it means to be saved by the grace of God. You ask someone, are you saved? I've had people answer, well, I'm trying to be. That lets you know that they are not saved when they say that. Because no one tries and makes it. No one tries to be saved. You come to the end of yourself and realize that you cannot save yourself and God intervenes, and the moment you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you pass from death to life in a moment of time. There is no process. Now listen, there was a process that brought Paul to this experience on the road to Damascus. Notice what the resurrected Lord said to him in verse 5. 
He said, I am Jesus. When Saul asked, who art thou, Lord? The Lord Jesus answered and said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. Now watch it. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. So obviously the Lord knew that he had been troubling and Saul had been dealing with a guilty conscience, a heart that was being pricked, a conscience that was being pricked. That's what he's speaking of when he says it's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. He was going after those Christians, those disciples of the Lord, but there was something nagging him inside. Was it because of the martyr Stephen's death and how he died with such confidence and, and calmness under control and looking into heaven saying, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge? Saul watched that, saw all of that, and it undoubtedly had a great effect on him. He had heard Saul, I'm sorry, he had heard Stephen preach that great message, that Old Testament overview, which Saul was certainly familiar with all of the Old Testament scriptures. And he had heard Stephen argue the point and bring about and prove with the scriptures how that Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of those Old Testament scriptures. And so we, we don't know it until we get here to verse 5, but Saul of Tarsus has been dealing with what we would call today conviction. In fact, the Spirit of God was sent to trouble men's hearts. Jesus Christ said this about the coming of the Holy Ghost. He said one of the jobs that he would do when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. He was going to convict. He was going to trouble. He was going to reprove the world. And that's what he does. When someone hears a gospel message or reads a gospel booklet, or maybe they see the change that's been brought and wrought in the life of some new believer, it brings about a troubled conscience. And sometimes they get angry and sometimes they go on. But nevertheless, it's part of the process of God bringing them to that place where their eyes are give, they're given light and they see their great need. And the, it dawns on them that Jesus Christ died for me. I am guilty and I stand condemned in the sight of a holy God. And that's troubling to the conscience. But listen, the gospel first slays a man and then it raises him to new life. The gospel preaching will wound you and then put the balm and the, the balm of Gilead up on that wound and heal you and raise you up. Listen, there was a process that brought Saul of Tarsus to the place where he saw Jesus Christ for who he was. But my friend, salvation is not a process. Salvation happens just like that. The moment a man believes, he is saved just like that. Suddenly it happens, not in a process. It may be a process of coming to see your need. There may be a process uh, with your conviction, but my friend, there is no process to conversion. When you cast yourself uh, uh, willingly at the foot of the cross and you call out to the Lord Jesus Christ, which is exactly uh, what happens here when Saul realized that the Lord of glory that had blinded his eyes and knocked him down on the road to Damascus, when he found out that that was Jesus of Nazareth that, that he had been persecuting, his response when he was trembling and totally astonished, he said, Lord, what will thou have me to do? And can I tell you, that was his salvation right there. Suddenly it took place just like that. That Bible says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth, the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Paul, 
uh, was saved on the road to Damascus suddenly. Conversion happens in a moment. Let me ask you a question, those of you still listening today. When were you saved? When did you get saved? When did you pass from death to life? When did God give you eternal life? You can go back. You may not be able to tell me the calendar date. I know us Baptists, we like to, you know, uh, press on you to give us the date. And you know, well, it was on a Tuesday, June 22nd and all that. Well, you don't have to remember the calendar date, but you do remember that there was a time that you took Christ for who he is, the only begotten son of God, the lamb of God, the Lord, the redeemer, the savior of men. And you put your faith in him. And you cast yourself upon him, trusting him to save you and give you eternal life. That happens suddenly. And when God saves a man, it's not in segments. It's not partially. He saves people completely, suddenly, and in a moment of time. Saul's moment of time was right here in Acts chapter 9, verses 3 through 6. It was a sudden conversion, as all conversions are. There may have been a process to bring you to that place of conversion, but conversion itself happens just like that. Why? Because it's likened to a new birth. Salvation is a new birth. Well, I've had my wife and I have had four children. And you know what? They showed up naturally. There was a process. There was labor and there was all of that. But suddenly those children appeared in the delivery room and they were born in a moment of time physically. Well, it's the same way. It's the same way in the spiritual realm. There may be labor pains. There may be conviction, and there will be. There may be uh, the opening of a man's eyes and the opening of his heart. But my friend, the new birth takes place in an instant, just like a physical birth does. Amen and amen. Uh, The dying thief got saved in a moment. I mean, in the twinkling of an eye, when he repented and took Christ and said, Lord, remember me. And when he did that, when he put his faith in Jesus Christ and confessed what he was, helpless, hopeless, and vile, and on his way to hell, fearing God, and he looked to Jesus Christ, that's when he got saved. That's when he got saved. He got saved in time. He got saved right there. It was sudden. And then number two, notice this about Saul's conversion. It was a supernatural event, as all conversions are. Now, a person can simply quietly look to Jesus Christ in their heart and pass from death to life. You don't have to have lights. You don't have to have excitement. You don't have to have tears. All of those things may or may not have accompanied your salvation. But what you must have is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ for who he is and what he did for you. And listen, there will be some supernatural things take place. Salvation is a supernatural work performed by God. The Bible says in Jonah 2, 9, salvation is of the Lord. And can I tell you something? It's supernatural. It is a miracle that God performs in the heart of believing men, women, boys, and girls. And the thing that's so wonderful about this is that we've seen some of this lately in our land. People upset over uh, what they believe is racism, people rioting and doing wicked things, people being murdered, uh, craziness. I mean, uh, statues and memorials being defaced and vandalized and torn down, and things are just in a state of chaos. 
And so people and politicians are looking for ways to fix problems. Well, we're going to give people this, or we're going to start recognizing this day, or we're going to do this, or we're going to give everybody free health care. Everybody's coming up with these crazy ideas to try to fix men. Let me tell you something. You can yank every statue down from San Francisco to Boston. You can uh, rename streets. You can put up statues of whoever you want to put up and you can give money away and you can make empty promises to whatever racial group you want to make promises to. But let me tell you something at the end of the day, when you've done all your political maneuvering and you've changed laws and the Supreme court has given this and recognized that, and they uh, flash the rainbow uh, lights on the white house, whatever it is that men think they're going to do to fix all this at the end of the day, Men are still wicked. Men are still sinful. Men are still what they always are. And that is vile creatures without hope and without God until they get born again. You cannot change men by changing their outer circumstances. I'll say that again. You cannot change men by implementing laws. You cannot change men by honoring them or dishonoring someone else. That stuff may have a temporal impact somewhere, but if you're going to change men, you've got to get to the root source of his problem, and only the Word of God, the Bible, tells you what man's problem is, and it is his unregenerate heart. The Bible says in Jeremiah 17, 9, that the heart of man, that's my heart and yours, before we're regenerated by the Spirit of God, the heart, the Bible says, is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. You can change a man's environment, you can change his clothes, but you cannot change the man until you change him inwardly. And my friend, salvation is an inside job. Say it with me. Salvation is an inside job. It's a miraculous new birth. It's called in Colossians chapter 2, it's something that God does. It is a, quote, operation made without hands. It's a supernatural miracle, a supernatural change. Recently, my pastor told me a story. He was reading a book where there was a man one time uh, that was up and he was on a box somewhere and he had a big crowd around him on a town square and he was uh, advocating for communism and he pointed over to a a bum that was off there to the side of the street. And he said, you see that, that homeless man over there? You see that man in ragged clothes? That poor man? And the crowd looked over and saw this, this sorry-looking bum uh, laying there drunk against the building. He said, communism, he goes, will put money in that man's pocket and put a new suit on that man. But some wise Holy Spirit-led Christian in the back hollered, Yes, but Christianity will put a new man in the suit. And you need to get that down. Man's problem is he's wrong in his relationship, in his natural condition to his creator. And it takes a supernatural miracle of God to change that man and make him right with God. And that's exactly what took place here. When God does a work on the inside, he continues that work. Do you know what we find? If you keep reading the chapter, you find that Saul began to pray. The Bible says there in verse 11 that he prayeth. Behold, he prayeth. We find Saul uh, later in the chapter when he was come to Jerusalem, he, quote, essayed to join himself to the disciples. He wanted to get around other believers. He didn't want to kill them. He wanted to company with them. He didn't want to 
uh, persecute him. He wanted to fellowship with him. It says in verse 20 that he began to preach Jesus Christ, that he is the Son of God. He began to ask the Lord, what can I do? What would thou have me to do? His attitude and his actions were changed miraculously in a moment of time. Why, preacher? Because of the supernatural aspect of the new birth. It happens suddenly, and it's an inside job. Salvation is supernatural And it's seen by the new life that will be put on display, especially with the man as adamant against Christianity as Saul was. That's what's going to shock everybody is the fact that there's such a change that overtakes Saul. And can I tell you something? He is a living example of what he wrote in 2 Corinthians 5.17 that says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And you know who made him a new creature? Nothing but a supernatural act of God. You see, you can't save yourself. Only Jesus Christ can save you. And if you're unsaved, why not bow the knee and look to the Lord, confess him as Lord and receive him by faith and ask him what you could do to serve him. And my friend, if you'll call upon the Lord, he'll save you like he saved millions of others that have repented and put their faith in him. It'll happen suddenly, salvation will, and it will change you supernaturally. May God help you to understand it, and may God help you to do it if you've never been saved. Trust Christ today. Till next week, may the Lord bless you as you seek or serve Him.